0: Thank you for listening to this talk, produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Thank you and uh, welcome to this lunchtime talk. My name's Maria Zagala. I'm the Associate Curator of Prints, Drawings and Photographs and also Acting Curator of International Art Pre-1980 and also the curator of this exhibition, Ways of Seeing, Recent Acquisitions from the Collection. It's really wonderful to see so many of you here today And um, I'm really thrilled that you've come to have a look at this brand new exhibition, which just opened to the public on Saturday. So it's only a few days old, really. And uh, in fact, uh, we were working so hard on installing the exhibition that um, I have just fallen into a bit of a heap and developed a cold um, uh, since opening. So um, I feel like a bit of a woolly-headed wombat, but I will do my best to offer you an introduction to the exhibition um, and uh, just give you a sense of some of the uh, wonderful works that um, we've put on display uh, here. So maybe I thought I might just speak a little bit about the process which um, I underwent with working on this exhibition because it's different really to most exhibitions. It is an exhibition that's devoted to recent acquisitions. There's over 100 of them on display, and in some ways I worked as a coordinating curator with my colleagues um, across all the different areas, um, looking at what has come into the collection in the last five years or so, because really the last exhibition that was dedicated to recent acquisitions was about that long ago. That's not to say that we don't put our recent acquisitions straight onto the walls, because often we do. And in fact, uh, the Elder Wing uh, reopened in December with many of our Australian art historical works on display that were recent acquisitions. But with, for example, prints and drawings and photography, which is the area I work in, um, we have less opportunity often to get our works out, less spaces in the gallery, which are amenable to works on paper which of course are sensitive to light. So I was really delighted when uh, the opportunity arose uh, for this exhibition and I put my hand up to curate it. Also because over this time, the last five years, um, I have worked closely with many donors um, on bringing really wonderful gifts into the collection and Many of my other colleagues, such as uh, Lee Robb um, and Tracy Locke, El Freak, um, Nikki Cumston and others, have also done the same. So as curators, we work closely with often collectors who then decide at some point to donate uh, their collections or parts of their collections to the gallery. And that process is really... It's a really intriguing process, I have to say, as a curator. Many, For some of us, um, for example, I worked with um, some of the donors over many years for them to uh, let go of some of the works that they had in their collections which they were so close to. And so amongst... So this, in fact, this exhibition, Ways of Seeing, is also a tribute to many of those key donors um, that we have um, and who've really supported this gallery and this collection so I recommend that you read the labels closely because those labels tell the story really of what has come into the collection now there have been hundreds of acquisitions and in fact in prints and drawings alone last financial year there were over 350 So if this exhibition takes in all the collecting areas and five years of acquisitions, you can imagine my problem with trying to select about 100. So the criteria, really, for bringing these works out was um, for me to find, for example, some of the major major gifts and some of the major donors. Uh, Amongst them... uh, were Rick and Jan Frolic who are Adelaide collectors and uh, a couple of years ago uh, they gave a a really significant group of um, contemporary works. Also James Mollison, former director at the National Gallery of Australia and his partner Vincent Langford uh, gave over a hundred works from their personal collection and those works are primarily works on paper and include uh, the Benjamin Armstrong and Brent Harris works in the entrance, and also that very arresting sculpture, uh, the eyeballs, which are looking at you as you walk in. Uh, with Jan and Rick Frolic, their collection included this large 10-metre-long drawing by Locust Jones that you see that dominates the space here. Um, also, the Brooke Andrew um, a screen print that is looking down on us from the wall over there. Um, and a a dedicated program of moving image works, which you see in the viewing room over there. Other major donors include um, Stephanie and Julian Gross, um, also Vivian Sharp, and this large uh, screen print behind me um, by Alora and Calzadilla, who are um, an artistic duo who are based in Puerto Rico. And also, in this room alone, behind you, is a suite of 19 uh, photogravure prints by Tracy Moffat and they were um, donated anonymously and they are part of a gift that included four other complete sets of work by her, including invocations. So if you like, the gifts, the works on display are some of them just scratch the surface of what we have here at the gallery. And uh, in the case, amongst nestled in amongst you there, is um, a number of 19th century, early 20th century photographs by an amateur um, photographer. And he uh, is called Walter Anderson. And those uh, works came through by um, a... a, a a collector called Daryl Collins, who acquired them through his family. So there are many stories, really, in this exhibition, many connections and um, many artists represented. Um, Some key South Australian artists include Peter Drew and these posters here, um, which you see Aussie and Equality, and you might have seen those on the street um, before, and now you know we have them at the Art Gallery. They're also here. Um, preserved in um, our Slender boxes, away from dust and light, just like the Albrecht Durer prints that they share the shelf with. So this gives you a sense of the kind of collecting that we've been doing. Uh, cent- I guess one of the great pleasures of working on the exhibition is also to bring out a work uh, that we had a campaign to acquire Uh, last year, and that is the Helen Frankenthaler uh, woodcut Madam Butterfly, and uh, that is in the next room, and that is a stunning piece, which is a major, major acquisition for our international collection, and uh, Lee, Rob, and I will be giving a dedicated talk on that print in a forthcoming lunchtime talk. So... One of the challenges um, of working on the exhibition was to bring all of these disparate works together and to create some kind of, I guess, meaningful relationships between them. It almost broke me, I must say, that the criteria, hoping for elegance, hoping for connections, but really looking across a very wide and diverse group of works by artists who have very different concerns and and different um, methodologies. So I started with, I thought, well, perhaps I will also bring in uh, another element into this process. It was an experiment, really, for me as a curator. I thought about um, John Berger and ways of seeing. And I was thinking about him because he passed away in 2017. And I was thinking about what an enormous impact he had on uh, our thinking about art. Perhaps even if you haven't read his book, Ways of Seeing, or if you haven't watched the TV series, you know just the words, Ways of Seeing. It's a title that's really um, entered the popular um, imagination. And I re-looked at Ways of Seeing and, of course, it's this very polemic um. And Marxist reading of art which is so vivid and so uh, and has such kind of such a wonderful analysis really of um, the uses of painting within from really 1500 to 1900 within um, the European tradition so what relevance could it have really for these works here and yet he as I say, has such a vivid turn of phrase and such a um, wonderful and penetrating um, argument about how art fits in within capitalism, its uses within capitalism. And I was thinking, obviously, since he wrote in 71, 72, that the role of art within capitalism has only intensified, the commodification of art has only intensified, And so objects really are transacted, moved, uh, acquired, still that that argument is still important to us. Not only that, of course, but uh, Berger's ideas, I think, also have changed the way that artists make art. Not just how we look at it, but how artists make art. Because those ideas are more broadly accepted There is this, his analysis in particular of advertising and the way that advertising draws on European art traditions for its imagery, um, also made me think about how some artists draw on advertising so readily and that it is such an important part of uh, the way that they make art. So obviously Peter Drew is one artist, Brooke Andrew is another, Tracy Moffat. they're all artists who are very interested in the circulation of imagery within our capitalist system, at the advertising, how advertising works. And, you know, even thinking about Peter Drew and his Aussie series there, um, you know, he's an Adelaide-based artist who uses... ..who really draws attention to, I guess, his progressive politics. He uses his art in, in the service of... Trying to uh, shake uh, white Australians into thinking about the White Australia policy, and that series Aussie in particular comes from that moment in our history where the white where people had to apply for exemption from the White Australia policy, including Dorothy Simtun and others, Adelaide Bourne, Monga Khan on the right, Camelia, uh, who were working and living here, so. This kind of aspect of um, again pasting these works up in the street, uh, going to onto um, social media in a very uh, knowing and uh, way to get his message across. So using, if you like, uh, media um, to communicate his um, the his his art. Another artist who's interested in the media is also Locust Jones. And so this artist, I think uh, you may have seen his work before. We do have one other work by him, uh, a drawing. Um, This work is 10 metres long, and he is an artist who works primarily in drawing. Um, He's a draftsman. He's based in the Blue Mountains, but born um, in New Zealand, Christchurch. And he works across this very large format. So as I mentioned, this is a 10-metre drawing. He's also worked on 20 metres, 100 metres. So they're scrolls. And I've um, elected to display this work here on this kind of rising platform to give a sense of uh, the way that news ebbs and flows Um, He's very inventive in the way that he uh, presents his drawings and often hangs them from the walls um, or rolls them or um, puts them onto structures that are balls. So they're kind of... You are forced to walk around them, through them um, and interact with them in a way that's um, not conventional in drawing. He works... uh, So you might expect him to work from left to right, but he doesn't. It's right to left, and he works every day. Uh, He's he's got very set uh, times that he likes to work. He uh, is a traditional draftsman in that way, a practitioner that just puts in the hours and uh, continues to make his drawings. What might be surprising when you look at them is that perhaps for someone who's been drawing for decades, that he may be more polished, perhaps even a better draftsman. And that is part of the, I think, allure of them. They have this uh, wonderful immediacy, immediacy um, a scratchiness, directness um, and expressiveness, which he has managed to maintain, really, despite, uh, as I say, this daily practice. I find that fascinating. Um I've often associated the continuity of practice, the repetition of line with um, a a mastery and that that mastery is often based on, uh, I guess, a trajectory of, uh, inverted commas, a better and better image. But he steadfastly holds on to this immediacy and this calligraphy, which is his own, a kind of drawing which somehow sits between writing and drawing. Uh, his work is about news, and this piece in particular it 's called "Conscience of Revolt Two There are two parts, so the other part is also ten meters long it's about it was made during the Arab Spring, and you see many of the key figures and the key moments of the Arab Spring represented. I was reading an interesting kind of piece of writing on this um, by Justin Trendle, and he, he noted that there is this element of, um, in some ways, almost flatness to, uh, the, to the, the way that the news is represented. So that locust is commenting on the, almost, well, the new cycle, but that the fact that the new cycle just keeps going and going and that there is no lull in it, that uh, the atrocities that happen are repeated and uh, that it's uh, an endless cycle. So the works, I think, here... Are quite dark actually um, I was thinking about um, again with new acquisitions and works that have come in and been offered by donors you're also introduced to new practice and new artists and I was really interested to learn about Alora and Calzadilla this um, artistic duo as I say who are based in Puerto Rico they're really famous I don't know them um, but I have um, been researching them as I've um, been uh, as I was working on bringing this um, up on display. And I was really interested to learn uh, this piece, which is called Intermission Halloween Iraq Portrait from 2010. It's from a series that the artists made uh, about soldiers relaxing uh, in Iraq during Halloween. And their practice is very multifaceted. They kind of uh, choose different kinds of modes, um, performance, sculpture, screen printing, photography, uh, all aspects. What's really important to them is, I guess, their archival research, the work that they're doing, and a particular moment or stress that they're trying to uh, represent. So they're interested in moments of crisis and violence, and really, there's this wonderful interview, actually, with um, Jennifer Alora, the uh, the American artist in this duo. Uh, they're both personal partners and artistic collaborators, where she talks about the vulgarity and ubiquity of violence—that it's everywhere. This sort of militarization of uh, of the nation, and I think she's speaking about America in particular. Um, and here, this series, which was from a larger group of works, represents this kind of the horror, the playful horror, both of Halloween, which is um, a national holiday to celebrate, you know, h- horror, and the actual horror of these, um, the fact that these are soldiers, that they are trained killers, that they are on um, having a moment of respite, that you know, one of them has a mask of Frankenstein, the other one a skull, and they're still in their um, in their clothes. You see them playing guitar, and uh, this is sort of element, obviously, of um, almost like a television um, screen of the intermission, a moment of of a break. Um, so it's really actually wonderful to have this work in the collection. Um, Representing, you know, this really important, um, uh, this important group of artists. Um, okay, so I feel like I would love to take you on a tour and to walk through, perhaps even into the last room, just to give you a uh, small um, glimpse at some of the later works um, in the exhibition. So let's just try and get up and uh, walk towards the final gallery. So in this final room, this um, gallery is focusing on the representation of landscape and uh, we have some wonderful works here. Um, you may have seen the, uh, some beautiful cards produced by our shop of Ronald Adams Botanical Works, but here I've selected only six from a much larger gift of over 70 watercolours that are to the collection. And those works are a gift and also were created by Ronald Adams, who was a South Australian artist, for the text Flowering Plants of Australia. And that was published in 1983. And they, of course, follow the um, conventions of botanical illustration. What I find wonderful is that in the age of photography, that still there is a place for watercolours in botanical illustration and that they have this specific role of uh, identification, that, in fact, an artist, through the decisions that he or she makes in representing a botanical specimen, is able to communicate more than a photograph in this instance. And that must be to do... With the process of selection, that process of the eye being able to bring out certain features and and uh, focus on those features, Um, and those you know those works, as I say, were made in 19 um, around 1983. But of course, they are part of a much longer tradition of botanical illustration, which really um, has remained unchanged since the 18th century, even as far back as the 16th century. Um, I'll just point out there's a very beautiful um, uh, landscape painting by Eugene von Gerard on the wall there, and that's um, a gift from Max Carter. Next to it is a Lloyd Rees landscape and below it, uh, Horace Treneri. Behind you, a painting by the um, Tasmanian-based artist Philip Wolfhagen, and that very beautiful uh, dusk scene is next to, here, a Bill Henson nocturnal photograph. Um, and that is also from the collection of, of Jan and Rick Frolick. And in the case in front of me, a group of books by Ed Bruchet, uh, which are a gift from Grant Jorgensen. And uh, I'm a particular fan of uh, Ed Ruscha and I'm thrilled that we have this book, Every Building on the Sunset Strip, from 1966. And we've displayed it here in concertina form. And Ed Ruscha just, you know, he revolutionised artist books at this time. And he's just such a, a, for me, such an interesting artist. Um, Again, drawing attention to the way that we look, how we see... And um, this very deadpan photography of uh, of the Sunset Strip, how he elevates it in this book um, and the way that he really was inspired, of all things, by French publishing in the 60s and um, his time spent in Paris and visiting those bookshops <laughs> and seeing those, um, you may know those um, French books, which are just the text and that's it. It's just like very rudimentary... Very utilitarian, and so um, Rouché, who trained as a screen, uh, what was it, a, a sign writer at Cal Arts, um, you know, had has a very particular um, kind of taste and interest in in um, this, um, I guess, very colloquial um, approach. Now, I just wanted to point out behind me. Um, In prints and drawings, we're thrilled to um, have um, this wonderful set of uh, etchings by Fred Williams, and they are of the Murray River, and they're a gift from his widow, Lynn Williams. Um, They're from 1972, and Fred Williams was commissioned uh, by the Adelaide Festival Centre to create murals of South Australia, and you may know those works. And so these are etchings which are based on those murals. So we're really thrilled to have those in the collection and to really, um, he did so few South Australian subjects, so it's great that they're in the collection. Okay, well, thank you very much for coming.